If you want impact on charities, you should be interested in how they're governed and how they're led. Purposely Podcast, amplifying the stories of people who are making a positive difference to society and the environment. People inspired by purpose. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom. Really warm welcome to Purposely with Sir Stephen Bubb, former CEO of Akivo, the representative body for charity CEOs. Stephen led the organization for a phenomenal 16 years, passionate about the sector, a real staunch advocate for the third sector. Really awesome conversation. Before we dive into the show, can I ask whatever platform we're on, please hit follow. It'll ensure you get future episodes. Enjoy. This episode of Purposely was brought to you by Benevity, the all-in-one software solution that benefits employees, customers, nonprofits, and society. Let's get back to the show. So Stephen Bob, welcome to Purposely Podcast. Thank you. Good to be with you. Yeah, really good to be with you. It's morning in the UK and uh, late in the evening for me in, in New Zealand, but um, this, that is not a barrier. Yeah. You're the Executive Director of the Gradle Institute of Charity. What's its mission? What's its purpose? Well, it's, uh, it's actually being launched in a couple of uh, weeks' time. We've just appointed our very first academic director, and it's a research institute, and we believe it's the first of its kind in the world that looks at charities as organizations. So it looks at charities in terms of its leadership, governance, um, and impact, whereas many of the research institutes around the world are mainly focused on philanthropy and giving. So this is sort of a gap, really. And it reflects, I think, on the fact there's little interest in the way charities are run. And yet, if you want impact from charities, you should be interested in how they're governed and how they're led. So that's our sort of first mission, if you like. But we don't want to stop there because we want to move into into teaching. We think there's a big gap in teaching at graduate and postgraduate levels in, in charity. And yet, how strange it is that many people are uh, hugely interested in charity, they work in charities, they volunteer in, in charities, and yet, can, can, can you study at universities? No, you can't. Yeah. And building on the capacity and the capability to deliver more impact? Yes. Yes. I mean, Anyone who's involved in in charity wants those organisations to have the greatest impact. And one of the problems is that um, many people in the media, many many donors sort of concentrate on, well, actually, I want bang for my buck. I want most of my money to go uh, to the front line. I don't want you spending it on admin, that sort of dirty word as though charities actually don't have any admin. They sort of wave magic wands and food aid uh, mysteriously appears from New Zealand or London in Africa. Well, actually, it's not like that. So charities have bills, they have offices, they pay staff. And increasingly, um, if you want a charity to deliver impact, you want good, talented staff. Volunteers, absolutely, but... They have to be trained, they have to be organised. So actually you need good people in those organisations, paid professional salaries. And one of the, you know, if you like, one of our mission is to sell the importance of charities as organisations and why you should support them in, in terms of their work and their 
dirty word, administration. Administration is actually a very good thing. Yeah, efficiencies. Yes. To deliver impact yes. is good. And charity is an interesting, it's an interesting word. It's an interesting sector. In the UK, they call it the third sector, don't they? So yeah. there's this idea that it sort of collaborates with government, collaborates with business to ensure the world goes round, right? Yeah, it, it's um, there's a, a lot of debate around what we should call ourselves. So, you know, if you're in America, it's not for profit. If you're in the UK, some people don't like the term charity because they think it's um, a bit old-fashioned, so they talk about the third sector or they talk about social enterprise. I quite like the term third sector because it encompasses a wide range of organisations and not just those that are registered at charities. But I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to get too hung up on the on the terminology. It's a, yeah. it's an interesting academic debate, but for most people out there, um, you know, they know what it is. If it's, uh, you know, quacks like a duck, what's that expression? It looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it is a duck, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. So just a little bit more about the Institute. And it's, I know it's been a few years in the making. Yeah. Just tell us a bit more about the sort of origins of it and how, how hard it has been to get off the ground. Like, and it's, it's housed at Oxford University, isn't it? Yes. And it's an exciting venture. Yes. I mean, I, I ran um, Akiva, which is the uh, UK's organization for charity chief executives. So it supports chief executives in their job, provides training for them, but also is, is, uh, a spokesperson for the charity sector nationally working with government or in the media when there's some sort of scandal. You know, I was there to sort of uh, explain what was going on and why why it was or wasn't a a good thing. So it was a a leading body and and that, you know, I did that for 17 years. And what I realised was that, number one, this battle around overheads explaining the need for core costs was a was a real sort of mission for us but also that um, you know there was so little attention or interest or certainly support and resources around governance and leadership you know so that so in any organization the public sector or the private sector everyone knows that you know the quality of the delivery will depend significantly on the leadership team and, you know, they're, they're paid professionals. So in the private sector, you're talking about chief executives earning huge, often huge fortunes, but that's because it's believed that, you know, they bring something special and, and increases the effectiveness of that organisation. It's, it's not like that in charities. When I left Akivo, I wanted to do something about that, explaining the importance of overheads, why governance and leadership um, is important. and. That led me to thinking about some sort of research body that would look at that and explain that, would it, 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 you know, measure impact. And so working with a number of individuals, we set up a Charity Futures, a think tank to sort of proselytise, if you like, but always with the idea I, I wanted a, a, an institution and I wanted it at, at Oxford because I was trying to make a point, you know, Oxford's, if not the top university in the world, certainly right up there, and making the point that actually charity is so important, we're going to get one of the world's top universities to research in it. It's taken, you know, over five years 
obviously to to sell the idea and then obviously to get the funding so um, as I, as we launch in um, in a couple of weeks time we're off on off on the journey and if there was any skepticism from the sort of powers that be at Oxford what was it about so I, I you know I know funding well is always a challenge right but was there any skepticism from the sort of academic side of, of Oxford initially? Yes, there was. Or was it just a case of getting... Yeah, there was. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it was. It sort of reflects the general public's view of of charity, which is, is you know, it's small scale, it's volunteers. It's a good thing, but, you know, it's volunteers. It's sort of like not as, as serious as the private or public sector. So, you know, why would we look at it? Why would we research it? But as soon as you, as soon as you <laughs> sit them down and say, hang on a minute, think about this, you know, the role and the value that charities pay. I, I, you know, we, we got the message across and, um, you know, that we now have very strong support. But it is, you know, this is, as I say, a, a first. It is strange in the academic world, in, in universities around the world, how little attention is paid to charity is a serious subject to study or teach. Yeah, and like you touched on before, so you know these these centres for strategic philanthropy around the globe, right? Yeah. That's that's that sort of battle's been won. Yeah, although possibly quite rare compared to say you know other things like cardiology or you know whatever yeah, it is, exactly. disease race, but. That philanthropy centre kind of uh, has been won, like that that, that it's uh, accepted. <laughs> but it, it, you're right, absolutely right, because you know there's you know millions and millions of spent, you know millions of people going about this charity gig. So it it deserves the, the attention, it deserves the research, it deserves the sort of analysis, I guess, eh? and it deserves the reflection. It's also not just around the sort of you know the the, the public facing charity world it, it, it's also important for charities themselves um, charities themselves don't pay enough attention to um, how they're led and how they're governed it's sort of accepted oh this is our trustee model that's what we've got you know we, that we're lucky to have these volunteers as our trustees and i think it's time charities paid a little more attention to during their governance and leadership and actually started thinking more closely about about their impact and their mission. So some of this is, you know, facing it's facing the nation, if you like, but it's also facing charities themselves, you know, get yourselves better. Changing tack a little bit, so taking you way back, you've had a phenomenal career in purpose and in the charity sector and the third sector. You know, you were you were knighted for services to the voluntary sector, which is phenomenal. But taking it all the way back to your childhood, would was it predicted back, back back then that you would have this sort of career focused on this, or was there a sort of early? What were the early foundations uh, that led you to want to be in a in a sort of yeah. serve first career? I, I don't think when I was school, I was thinking, oh, I want to work in charity. <laughs> but it was like I mean, like like most people don't think actually you can have a career in charity, sadly. But um, but I grew up in a family that was um, you know strongly Anglican with a sort of very outward focus. So from an early age, I was used to meeting missionaries, for example. So there was always that sort of 
you know, what are we here for? What's the purpose of, of ourselves? So whenever I was thinking about a career, it was to have some sort of focus on public service. So I went into trade unions in the health service and in local government and then finally ending up leading leading Akivo. Yeah. And do you remember your parents kind of focus on, I call it purpose, but, you know, serving others, doing something beyond doing it for the money or to earn a living? Like, was that a narrative in the household? Oh, very much so. Yeah. My dad was a headmaster. My mother was very involved with um, one of the church organizations, the Mother's Union. So she was on the international committee. So she was very involved in supporting the, you know, if you like, aid and development work. So obviously you grow up with that sort of, with that sort of interest. And obviously aid and development work is, is led by charities mostly. And one of the threads, I think, to your career is your, willingness to challenge where you see a challenge is needed and you you have not you know over the years not held back and that sort of characterized your leadership of Akivo was that sort of talking out if you like pointing out inconsistencies or just challenging was that kind of encouraged growing up like were you encouraged oh yes yeah yeah have your say yes absolutely although it's just probably part of my character but um, but I did see a quite an important role in in my job in Akivo was that sort of national voice and um, you know often for you know my members the charity chief executives they would find it more difficult themselves to speak out either because of their donor base or their relationships with government but um, you know I didn't have that um, that to hold me back so I regarded my role as actually speaking out in in but but uh, doing it you have to do that quite carefully. If you're seen as always just a sort of a gobby critic, that's not going to work. So I wanted to work with government, with other public sector organisations, and we absolutely did that. But there were occasions when something I thought was deeply wrong and harmful to the charity sector, I would say so. And that kind of having a thought realizing that you have to say something saying it it's not for the faint-hearted you can't be too sensitive but i guess some of your um ability to uh, be steeliness if you like was developed in uh youth youth court magistrate world or uh union world like you had quite a tough early career well i was 10 years in the trade union movement so yeah 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 you develop a certain um, steel don't you i think yeah you're right yeah but on that sort of speaking out theme, it is quite important to get the balance, the balance right. Some people would argue, oh, you know, we get money from government or donors. We should always keep quiet. We should never speak out. Well, actually, you get walked over if you do that, particularly with governments. Governments don't think you'll ever criticise them. They won't pay attention to you. One of the advantages I had was that um, governments knew that if there was a policy that was not good for the charity sector, I would say so. So they were always, and, and they want the support of the charity sector, they were always slightly careful when they were dealing with me. They wanted my support, which they got when it was doing good things, but, but if it was a bad thing, I would say so. 
So they did listen to me. If you never speak out, if you if you're always sort of smiling at them, then um, they'll walk over you. And that shift for you from you know magistrates from union work, like tell us a bit about the detail of how that happened and that opportunity came about. Um, well, it was. It, I mean, in my my final role, which was in in local government, um, the then government under John Major set up the lot of the national lottery. And one of the arms of the National Lottery was to be a charities board, so distributing money to to charities across the UK. And I was seconded to set it up to find the staff, the offices, etc., and and help run the grant programme. So at that stage, I was looking at charities in terms of their effectiveness and how they would be able to spend the grants that we made. So. I saw charities for, for five years from, from that angle. And, of course, if you're involved in that way, you're then interested in, in them as, as organisations. And the opportunity came to lead Akivo, which I, which I took. And the sort of origin story of that, so it's, it's a membership-based organisation that's, that's representing its members, isn't yes. it? So it's giving it their members fact, a voice. It's a bit like a trade union for charity chief executives, in fact, and indeed, one of the, the jobs uh, I had was supporting chief executives who were in dispute with their trustees. So, yeah. And it's, you know, leading a non-profit from personal experience, it's a, it's a lonely it's a lonely role. It's tough at the top. You know, like I, I've talked about this a lot on this podcast, but, you know, scarcity and abundance just comes to mind. So, you know, leading people, delivering services, all of those things with really limited bu- budgets at times in a really public way. So, you know, your accounts are, and your, your sort of dealing, business dealings are, all, are there for everyone to see. Yep. Huge challenges, but huge satisfaction and, and also. But, yeah, when you started that role, do you remember having some clarity about how you would approach it or did you learn sort of on the job? Bit of both, really. You certainly learn on the job through, um, you know, just through your, your contact with, I mean, we had... Uh, one stage there were two thousand uh, members, so and from the you know the biggest charities in the in the UK to really quite small uh, charities. But of course, you know what what unites all of those organisations is they all have a board of trustees, they all have a chair of the trustees, and they all, in terms of the Kivo membership, all had staff. So uh, you know, common there are common themes. So. You might be running a very big charity, but your chair is a bit of a wally. So you, <laughs> you know, you need support in, in that role. That's no different from if you're running a very small charity. So there, you know, there are, there are themes. Yeah. Cause you've, you've talked publicly about the sort of the way in which governance is set up for nonprofits, not necessarily being fit for purpose. Yeah, as the charity sector has evolved, and like that sort of that's been a constant talking point for you yeah. over the years. Just articulate what you saw and how you thought it needed to change. Like, well, there's a, a sort of a general feeling in in charity sector that sort of the model of a completely non-executive, voluntary, unpaid trustee board is the right model, and for the majority of charities, it probably is the right model. But I think in some charities, I think especially the larger 
charities. I think there's a strong case for different models. I think there's a case for paying trustees, for example. In some cases, I think moving to a more exec, non-executive model is, is the right one. But uh, there's not enough experimentation and there's not, there's not enough questioning of the governance model. Uh, certainly one of the things that I would hope the new institute would research and, and look at, you know, different models because it's key to the impact a charity uh, can make. If you've got a good trustee board and a good charity, then, you know, you're motoring. Yeah, absolutely. And these, you know, these cha- well, challenges, so these around representation. Yeah. That's a, a big thing. Um, sometimes the structures of boards, like, you know, certainly around membership organizations where you have to have board members representing certain parts of the country or, you know, all, yeah. the, all these things sometimes lead to not good governance and they can be powerful as well in the positive sense. And there's a, the, the interaction as well between the sort of the governance and the culture is quite interesting. So you can have, you know, a good trustee board and sort of, if you like, good governance. But if there's a toxic culture in the organisation, that affects impact and vice versa. So it, it's that's quite an interesting interplay. So it's just a simple matter of saying, oh, you've got too many trustees, so, you know, you've got 30 trustees, you should have 12, and then everything will be fine. So it's it's not quite like that. So all that thing about it, it's sort of you could have a it's quite interesting. I've seen cases where you've got fairly hopeless trustee boards, but an extraordinarily effective chief executive and and, and the charity is still, you know, do it doing well. So it, it's not a it's well, <laughs> it's a lovely field for um, research. <laughs> yeah, a bit. In those 16 years leading that organisation, like, was there a toughest moment? Were there a couple of tough moments that you look back and think, wow, we we negotiated our way through the, those moments, but actually that took a toll on me? Or, you know, like, what, any, anything that stands out in your mind? Well, there were a couple of guys. I mean, one, <laughs> one of them, of course, was the usual um, the usual thing that often faces charity chief executive is resources. So there was a time when, you know, we really had, we were struggling financially and we had to make cuts in, in our staff. We had, we used to get some pretty impressive good grants from government and they disappeared. So, I mean, that was, you know, any chief executive will find, find that quite tough. And, um, there were, there, you know, there was a time when I came under quite a lot of pressure from government to shut my mouth, which I did. And what does that, what did that look like? How did that how did that pressure arrive at your door? Uh, well, like, was that I was <laughs> I was um, asked to go and see a cabinet minister who um, after who, who who I knew and after a nice brief friendly chat said <laughs> told me he was having to hose the prime minister down off the wall. He was so furious with me, and would I bloody well shut up? <laughs> yeah and i i imagine for you though you doubled down because you knew what you were saying was of ben- benefit to your stakeholders so yes. you know the yeah. the charity ceos the voluntary ceos that you can you give us a feel of what sort of topic it was related to 
it was all around the big society. So, you know, the, the, the government at the time were, were promoting this idea of a, of a big society, you know, that with, with, you know, individuals, charities, communities playing a bigger role, which is in itself is a good thing. But of course, they did it at the same time as they had a massive program of cuts in the public sector. So basically, it was it was a hollow, a hollow, a good idea, but a hollow one because there was not only was there no money behind it, but money was being withdrawn from charities. Yeah, but it was branded as not austerity. It was branded as something a bit different. Yeah, and in terms of. Where do you get, when you have those moments when you come under a bit of fire, and we've talked about you being not afraid to do that, but where do you, do you go to to mentors? Do you go to, or to, to confidants? Do you go, where do you draw your strength and just check in that you're on the right track and just, you know, that sort of voice of self-doubt that we all have? Well, I did have a good mentor. I had a very good chair um, and I had a good team. So, I mean, those are the sort of the... If you've got a good team around you and you've got a good chair, then you're in a very good position, actually. So my chair and my board were absolutely sort of rock solid behind me. So it was that was the you know you and and an inner strength that you know well actually what what you're saying is right. So you'll carry on saying it and flipping that negative around to what what was the best day in the office during that time like it's a it's a decent amount of time to stay in a role but something you're really proud of well the work we i think the work we did on core costs which was really was driven by akivo under my leadership and and we started that off in the early days and that became standard that that idea of paying for core costs became an absolute you know standard thing amongst grant makers etc it was that was extremely successful so it was probably the, the biggest achievement I, I think but you know also also I think the the you know the, the the voice if you like the prominence we had in the in in the media like getting onto the today program for example those are those are big things. Yeah, because I've noticed, sort of related to that, I've noticed recently, or I think in the last couple of days, that the UK Charity Commission have sort of come out and said publicly that charities, I'm paraphrasing, but charities should speak up. They should they should advocate. They should challenge. They should take on issues. And they're not be afraid of getting their f- funding cut. And I could hear Sir Stephen Bubb sort of championing that as well. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, quite. It was a hard gig to give up. Like when it came to, and tell us about your thinking around all good things have to come to an end. Yeah, and so often I, we're judged on, yeah. you know, not, not um, when we're in the role, but sometimes what follows. I was getting to, you know, it, it, the, you get to a point where you start thinking, you know, I'm getting older, I've been here quite some time, is it time to move on? I, and it was, and, and, you know, this opportunity to, um, funnily enough, it came about through an interview I gave on the today on the BBC's Today program. So I was talking. It was there was a big paper, a campaign on charity chief executive pay. So I was on the on this. Uh, it's the major news program in the morning, defending you know proper pay for chief remuneration. 
Yeah. Um, and someone was listening to that and got in touch. I, you know, someone who ran a, you know, a, do- a donor's grant program got in touch, said how much he agreed with it. We met up and that led to the setting up charity futures. And he said, well, why don't you, you know, ease yourself out of the key and come and run this? Which I did, you know, with the idea of the sort of the charity futures, the think tank, but leading to the establishment of this research institute. So it's a, all thanks to the BBC. Wonderful. And good, the good old BBC. And th- so that initial think tank was a, was around sort of scoping, sizing up the opportunity and, and then looking for resources. Yeah, exactly. You know, we had a couple of near misses. And then finally, the the donor who was giving money to New College in Oxford for a new quadrangle, which was where our headquarters was going to be, said, you know, I like the idea of this, I'll fund you as well. And you had, you had a quite a few challenges, f- funding challenges. You had a global pandemic rear its ugly head to get in the way as well. Yeah. Like some cynicism or some, you know, some conservatism at the beginning. Like, does it sort of pinch, you've, you've stayed focused, but, and it's pretty exciting now that you're getting getting it started and getting it open? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, funnily enough, the sort of pandemic may have done us a favour because it gave us time to sort of seed the idea. So I had a lot of time talking to other academics in the college, in the university. So it, it, it you know, the, the idea grew. And because it took slightly longer, I think it led to a better a better outcome so you know we're a long way down down the road but um, it's also enabled us um, to get a very prominent academic to to lead the institute so professor peter frumpkin is from the university of pennsylvania has a very strong academic record in in the states from chicago harvard um Texas um, and now the University of Pennsylvania. He's coming to lead the research. He's very strong on on executive programs which he's developed. So he wants to develop those as well. So that you know, it's part of no point just doing research unless you apply it. And the idea is that we'll use some of the executive programs to spread some of the ideas from from our research. Wonderful and. Just touching on that leadership piece, what, in your view, makes up a awesome nonprofit third sector you know, charity leader? Like, is it different to running another other type of business, like a, a for profit business? There are less differences than you would um, imagine, in my view. I mean, that is one of the reasons I don't particularly like the not for profit uh, description, is because you know anyone running a charity should be running. It for a profit, the idea that uh, that you you wouldn't is slightly absurd. You need resources, so it got to be business like business like in doesn't it doesn't imply it's for private gain. It's for it's for for you to run a so that you've got the resources to deliver more. B um, to have a greater impact. So I think we can learn, and we do in my view, learn a lot from the private sector. Similarly, in, in, in terms of the, the public sector, I think there's, there's increasing understanding of the, you know, the cross-sector nature of the leadership and governance roles. 
And we're, you know, as a people, as a, our environment, social, economic challenges, huge, like absolutely massive. And, and the charity sector, the third sector pays a, will play a real big part in that. Is there an individual, an organization, a sort of movement that is getting you excited and, and making, say, maybe giving you some hope and, and, and feeling like we could, you know, deal with some of these challenges? Is there anything that you could reflect on? I mean, it's hard to call out individuals, but um, go for it if you've got one in mind. <laughs> but but maybe it's something else. Um, well, two things really. I think the um, certainly in the UK, the sort of the voice of charities has got weaker. So there's less attention paid to charities in the UK. The sort of the sector itself has got um, more inward looking, inward focused doesn't really engage much with government that's partly because the government current government is not that interested in the in the charity world so that's a sort of disappointing negative but on the other hand it's sort of it's interesting that even with the challenges of covid and, and the lack of resources charities are still thriving which is extraordinary and, and of course carry on doing some extraordinarily good things and in terms of like, like if these are you sort of big on legacy around your role, or maybe it's more around getting some stuff done, some serious impact before you retire or do something else? Like, what is there? Is you know, have you got a sort of vision for the the rest of your working time and years and the impact you want to make? Well, certainly, I'd I'd like to see us develop from research into teaching. So I'm. Um, I'm sort of on the lookout for a very large donation to enable us to, if you like, set up a school for charity. I'd like to see if we can get a, a you know, a big donation so that we can look at some undergraduate teaching, perhaps a master's in charity, starting at Oxford, but obviously building out. So I have, uh, I'll be talking to a fundraiser in America. I'm looking for three hundred million dollars. So. Anyone listening in? Please call in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it'll happen, actually, because I think, you know, I, I, when I talk to people about, you know, well, why is it you can't study charity as an undergraduate? People think, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Why can't you? I mean, so many, yeah. so many undergraduates would love to. And even if it was just sort of certain papers as part of your overall course, I think, you know that that so that's a if you like a movement i'd like to i'd like to promote before i yeah. shuffle off this mortal coil and it, i'm sort of old enough to yeah not it, not for it to be a particular it's not a sort of obvious career choice it's something you you fall into and i yeah. for me it was falling in via fundraising actually it was it was focused focused on initially actually it was supposed to be focused on being part of sort of service delivery but then fundraising but it's you know for for these generations coming through I think it is. It will be a genuine career choice. I agree. Um, yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, especially as focused on purpose. I've, you know, I often do talks to undergraduates about about um, you know the world of charity, and you know they they like everyone else. They sort of think of charity as sort of volunteers, and and obviously realise there are people who work there, but don't sort of think of it as a career. Actually, you know. But, <laughs> Becoming a the chief executive of a big national charity is, is a wonderful job. It might not be as rewarding as running a big oil company, but 
but it's a dance site more interesting and fun. And you're, you know, you're serving a purpose, you know, as opposed to destroying the world. Stephen Bubb, massive thank you for joining me on Purposely. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Purposely Podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. I hope you like what you're hearing, because I sure do. 